0: Thanks for listening to the weekend message from Abundant Life Church. Most weeks on the podcast, you'll hear teaching from our lead pastor, Jeremy Jernigan. We have campuses in Oregon and Washington and are committed to giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. Find out more about Abundant Life Church at alcpnw.com. Well, you may have noticed that grocery stores are looking a tad bit different these days, and there's not quite as many things on the shelves as normal, and yet I've been entertained by some of the photos that have come out of things that people aren't buying, even in the midst of all of the craziness that we're going through right now. Like, for example, here's some of the photos that I saw that that reflects on things that, even in the midst of an emergency, we're not interested in eating. For example, there are mac and cheese with cauliflower pasta. And you can see a whole bunch of empty shelves, but that macaroni is not moving. No one's interested in the cauliflower. Or there are uh, shelves with only unsalted potato chips. I don't know why you need potato chips without salt, uh, but those are not moving. People are not interested in buying those. Or perhaps the weirdest one, chocolate and buffalo hummus. I don't know why that's even a thing, uh, but evidently that has been made and people still don't wanna buy it, even in the midst of an emergency. Now, obviously there's other uh, things that are very hard to find right now, and, and you no doubt have seen this and have felt this. Uh, if you knew ahead of time to buy stock in toilet paper, you would have been a very smart person. Uh, that has been quite difficult for many people to find all around the country. Uh, and, and so some people have even resorted to making their own toilet paper. Uh, I saw this photo recently. I don't recommend that. Uh, I'm not sure if that's reusable. I don't know how that works, but uh, desperate times call for desperate measures, I suppose. Well, I wanna welcome you to Abundant Life Church at whichever one of our hundreds of campuses that you happen to be watching this at. Obviously, we have changed things as a church. We have gone online. Uh, and so wherever you are watching this, whoever you are watching this with, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, maybe you're, you're joining new with us. Uh, maybe you've not been a part of this before, but through technology, you're able to, to join us. Uh, maybe you're with someone who is a regular part of this with us, and they invited you. However you got here, we're so glad that you are a part of this experience with us. My name is Jeremy, and I'm the lead pastor here at the church. And uh, we are, are going through a series through the gospel of John. And, and so if you are taking notes at home, and, and I would encourage you to, whether that's a physical notepad that you may have or, or get a note app on your phone, I uh, still want to communicate a few things that, that God has been uh, laying upon my heart that I think would be beneficial for all of us uh, as we process through this unique season. Uh, I encourage you to take notes. And so if you're writing things down, the title today is When Faith is Tested. When Faith is Tested. I, I cannot think of perhaps a better title for a message right now. When Faith is Tested. and In our Bible today, we're going to be in John chapter 6. And so if you've been with us, we have spent a number of weeks uh, in John chapter 5. Uh, we've now moved into John chapter 6. And we're going to begin with a powerful story today that I think has incredible implications for the season that we're in right now. Now, as you were turning to John chapter 6, we're going to look at a miracle that Jesus performs in. And and what's interesting about this miracle is it's the only miracle of Jesus that appears in all four of the Gospels. And so the, the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, they all thought this story was really important to include. And, and the early church must have deemed this story very important because all four accounts of the life of Jesus include this. And so that's not true with a lot of other things that Jesus did. Uh, maybe one of them will tell the story or a couple of them, but this one is all four of them locked in on what Jesus did. And we're gonna see the implications of this story for them, but also what this means for us uh, as we figure out how do we live out our faith today. And so be with me in John chapter 6. We're going to begin reading in in verse 1, and and we'll see how this story uh, is set up. It says, After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went, because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. We talked a lot about this in chapter five of of Jesus's ability to heal people. And as you can imagine, that is now attracting a crowd. More and more people want to see who is this guy and what can he really do. Verse three, then Jesus climbed a hill and he sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Can you imagine if you were the one that Jesus picked to ask this question, right? So Philip's like looking at this huge crowd and Jesus turns to him and says, hey, Philip, how how are we going to feed all these people? But notice what it says in verse six. He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Now, Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Ever, ever been in a situation that was, I don't know, a challenging situation and you didn't quite know how to handle it? I mean, like hypothetically, have you ever been in a situation like that? I mean, right now we are, 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 are thinking through problems and solutions and ideas and contingencies in ways that, that we have never had to do before. And, and so I immediately relate with Philip here. And Jesus going, hey, Philip, how are we going to do this? And Philip's looking at a problem in front of him. He's going, I don't know, Jesus. I, I don't know how to do this. I, I've joked with, with some of our team uh, on, on our staff that, that I'm writing all of our plans right now in pencil. Because I just don't know. And so we're making a plan, and then we're having to change the plan. And then we're making a new plan, and then we're changing the new plan. And, and maybe that's how your family is functioning, too, of, of just writing down plans in pencil and going, we don't know what tomorrow brings. We don't know what the latest news will bring. And this is what it feels like when, when you're in a situation that is bigger than you. And so a question that I, I have with this story and, and as I think you and I are, are trying to figure out today is this, how does our faith emerge when tested? Now, maybe you don't want your faith to be tested. Maybe you're like, I'm not, I'm not interested. I didn't sign up for that. But how does our faith emerge Emerge. That is the question we should be asking ourselves right now. When our faith is tested, when Philip's faith was tested, I want to point out that those who literally followed Jesus around were in situations that they could not solve. I mean, sometimes we say crazy nonsense like being in the will of God is the safest place to be. No, it's not. If you follow Jesus around, you are guaranteed to be put into situations bigger than you can solve. And this is what happens to Philip on this day to the rest of the disciples. See, being a Christian is never about being removed from these kinds of obstacles. It's never about being removed from these kinds of challenges. And, and some Christians, they, they sell Christianity like that, and it's not Christianity. Hey, if you follow Jesus, all of your prayers will be answered. You won't have the same hardships. You're gonna live a life of blessing only. And I just want to encourage you, friends, it's not what Jesus ever promised. And it's not what we find through those who actually followed him around. Philip is in a situation, he has to, has a challenge. How do you feed all these people? And Philip's looking around going, even if we worked for months, we would not be able to do it. And yet, the encouraging news for you and I is that those of us who follow Jesus, even though you're going to be in situations that are beyond, what you can control, beyond what you may have a solution for, we know that we get to experience Jesus in the midst of them. And so Philip may not have a solution yet, but he's with Jesus. He's going to experience this miracle, this solution in real time with the person of Jesus. And that's the invitation for you and I today as well, that we may be in situations that are beyond us, that are scary, that are fearful, and yet we can remind ourselves that we're doing it with the person of Jesus. Now go back to John 6 and, and look at verse 8. This is uh, where I think this gets really interesting. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. So they're trying to help Philip out. You ever had a friend like in school that the teacher called him? They didn't know the answer. And so you're like, hey, I, I, I can help because you're like trying to save them. Andrew's trying to save Philip here because Philip's like, I don't know how we're going to solve this problem. Andrew's like, hey, hold on a second. Um, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that? With this huge crowd, right? And this is it's interesting. Now, if you've heard this story before, you're like, yeah, yeah, I know this. Get to the end. We, we've all heard this story. But I want to just stop here for a moment, because this is a very interesting detail in this story. Where did this boy come from? Why all of a sudden? And this conversation with the disciples, now they're referencing some other boy who's got a sack lunch that his mom packed him. Where did this boy come from? Why is this boy now in the conversation? See, the narrative here implies that this boy probably came forward with an idea. That this boy is sitting there watching the disciples, having no clue. How to solve this problem. They're, they're, they're you know, interjecting with one another. And Philip's looking with those big eyes like, I don't know how to do this. And a little boy speaks up and goes, hey, hey what about this? I've got some bread and, and I've got some fish. Would this help? And in a way that maybe only a child could solve this problem going, hey, here's some food. Would this work? And, and you know the, the adults are looking around going, well, that doesn't make any sense. But here you have an amazing kid who sees a solution. I want you to note that it's not the disciples that come up with a solution to this problem. It's a little boy. It's a little child that says, hey, what about this? What, what if we gave Jesus this? What, what, what could happen? And, and sometimes it's, it's not uh, the, the people you expect who are going to always lead us through, who are always going to see what others can't see. Sometimes it's those who just have a different lens of faith. Those who just see Jesus differently, who think, you know, what about, what about this? Who are those people who can see what others see? Who are the people around us right now that can see hope in the midst of the fear? Who can, who can see a way forward? Who can see a way to, to live, to be better through this? Who are those that can see that? And who are those who can't? Who only see the problem? Who only see the obstacles in, in front of us? Now, there's a lot of people who are affected, obviously, in a variety of ways through what's going on in the world right now. But I was thinking of uh, there are certain industries that uh, that you're actually doing really well if you're in this industry or some industries are not going well at all. If you make video games right now, you're probably feeling pretty good about your company or if you are in uh, video conferencing, I mean, you're probably feeling pretty good about that. I was thinking, you know who's not enjoying this right now? Or is if you are trying to uh, find your soulmate through online dating, not a great time to do this. I mean, can you imagine uh, you can't actually meet up with any of these people? And so even if you like someone's profile, like, hey, let's, let's go to dinner. You can't go to dinner. I mean, we've got old style courtship going on here where you have to write letters and, and call them on the phone because you can't get together with them. And and I was thinking, yeah, I bet I bet online dating just is like shutting down right now. But I came across the story of uh, a guy named Nate who decided, you know what, uh, in the midst of all of this, he, he was going to pivot. He was going to see what no one else could see. And, and so Nate went on and he changed his online dating photos. And he tried to like really apply them to the situation that we're in right now. And so I'll show you a few of these. The first one is, is Nate smiling showing how he can wash his hands. Like this guy, he knows how to wash his hands. And, and like, who doesn't want a man right now who can wash his hands? And it's an interesting way to, to engage that. Second picture he, he had is him with gloves on. Like, I, you know, ladies, you, you want a man who's gonna make sure his hands are clean and, and wear gloves when needed and, and, and you know, be, be aware of all that. Or, or maybe my favorite one is this one, Nate with toilet paper just showing off, you know, just that he's got toilet paper, he's smiling next to it. And then I was thinking, here's someone who can see what others can't see, who is seeing in the midst of the challenge that, that maybe there's a new way forward. And, and that's the invitation for you and I. Can we see what Jesus is up to in, in seasons like this, in moments like this? Are we able to see? Because here's a little boy who can see a solution that none of the disciples who are actually being trained by Jesus, none of the disciples can see it. And this little boy comes with a, a solution. Now, you might think the disciples would go, oh, wow, yeah, hey, he's got the right idea. Uh, let's start going down this direction. Let's start figuring out you know, what, what we could do with this. But it's not their reaction. I want you to notice what Andrew said. His phrase is, what good is that? What good is that? You ever had that thought? Well, yeah, we got that, but what good is that? You, you may not know, but barley loaves were the bread of, of those who were poor. And, and so this is a poor lunch. This is not like a, wow, that kid has a rich family who really hooked him up for lunch. Let's spread this out. This would be a very meager meal. And, and so the boy brings this meager meal and disciples go, what good is that? It's hard to imagine that Andrew or Philip or really any of the disciples thought much of these little resources. But I want to point out that for this little boy, this was an incredible risk. Because this little boy doesn't know if everybody that was there that day was going to get fed. But he knew he had food. He knew he was going to have lunch because he had a meal prepared. And yet this little boy leverages that for the sake of others. This little boy is willing to say, you know what, I would give this up and and if we just split this evenly... I will go hungry today, but here's what I have. And what if I brought what I have for the benefit of others? Even when others may say, what good is that? This little boy was willing to risk going hungry that day for the chance of a solution that maybe Jesus could do something miraculous. Are we willing to do the same thing today? To say, here's what we have, what would we do how would we use what we have for the good of others? You know, in a season like this, in a moment like this, you have two very different reactions of people. You have one strain, and I've heard these conversations of, let's, let's stockpile resources, let's, let's protect this, let's go off and get away from everybody and make sure that we're taken care of. That might protect you, that might solve the problem for you or for your family, but it's not gonna do anything for those around you. And there's another option in a moment like this to say, here's what we have. How how could we give what we have for the benefit of everyone around us? And what if all of us had that approach? Here's what I've got. How, How could I use what I've got to benefit others? Acknowledging that maybe some may look at what you have and go, what good is that? But the reason we're about to read about a miracle is because a little boy was willing to risk, was willing to give extravagantly and say, I'm willing to risk that I don't get fed today even though I already have food, for the sake that maybe others could experience something great. See, right now we're in a season of loss. It's not something we talk about a lot, of how do we deal with loss, but, but we're dealing with loss in, in real time. And, and, and oftentimes, you know, for many years, it's, uh, the economy is good and our jobs are good and our, our retirement accounts are good and our bank accounts are good and, and we just kind of get used to it and we almost get numb to that's always how it's going to be. And, and yet history would tell us that's not the way life works. Life is full of loss. And, and many of us, we don't know how to deal with loss. We don't know how to appropriately handle a moment of loss. And, and I was thinking this ranges in, in scale. I mean, you might have lost a vacation that you had planned and, and you, were, you were all set and you had booked it in advance and you got the tickets and, and you were set and you had to cancel those plans. I've had a number of, of trips and obligations that I had that had been canceled. I, I know that loss and maybe that's the loss you felt as well. Maybe you've lost your favorite sports team to watch and, and now you're bored at home and you're, you're like, why do I not have that? There's a sense of loss there that this isn't going to be like it normally is. But there's more severe loss. Maybe you've lost some of your income. And now you're looking at the numbers and you're going, I don't know how to make this work. This is going to create a new challenge for me. Maybe you've lost one of your jobs completely. You or maybe a family member or a spouse. You say, we just lost this whole job. And now you're grieving that loss. You're trying to process through that. There are now those all around the world who have lost a loved one, who are grieving that loss as well. And regardless of where you would put your own personal sense of loss, all of us are losing comfort and security right now. Two things that we take for granted and we just assume we should have. I should be comfortable and I should have security. And we can almost make each of these into idols in our lives. I should always be comfortable. I should always have security. And now we're trying to figure out how do you grieve the loss of these? How do you process this well without going to despair? without losing hope in the midst of it? How, how do we properly grieve a loss and keep our eyes on Jesus? I think part of the way we do this is by acknowledging the things that we're not losing and having a new appreciation, a renewed appreciation for the things that we have that maybe we were taking for granted. Uh, one author that I particularly uh, appreciate is Jamie Tworkowski. It says this, conversations will not be canceled. Relationships, will not be canceled. Love will not be canceled. Songs will not be canceled. Reading will not be canceled. Self-care will not be canceled. Hope will not be canceled. May we lean into the good stuff that remains. As a perspective in the midst of this crisis right now, to say, yeah, there's a lot of things that we need to grieve. There's a lot of things that we need to be grateful for. Say, here are the things that maybe we didn't even realize we have Maybe we didn't realize how incredible these were, but now is the season. Now is the moment to be appreciative of that. And so this little boy comes. He brings his, his meager lunch, and he risks it all. And he says, hey, if this could help, here's, here's this. And, and I imagine Jesus is just kind of watching this. He's watching the disciples' reaction as they say, what good is this? What, what, how is that going to possibly solve this? We'll go back to chapter 6. Look at verse 10 this is what we see, what, what Jesus does when we have faith, when we have the eyes to see what he can do and, and what only he can do. In verse 10 it says this, Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. Can you just imagine that moment? You don't know what he's about to do, but, but you know something's coming. He, he's, he's getting ready. He's got a plan. He's, he's kicking into action. Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. Now the men alone numbered about 5,000. So, we're talking a huge crowd here of just the men, are 5,000. And then you add women and you add children. There's a lot of people gathered that this little boy's lunch is supposedly going to feed. And then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. This, this little poor lunch in the hands of Jesus, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. We've got more than we need. Gather the leftovers. So they picked up the pieces and they filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. And when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. And when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Jesus thrives off of our limitations. Jesus thrives in those moments when our backs are against the wall and we acknowledge our dependency on him. We acknowledge this problem is greater than us. Jesus thrives in those moments. It's when he does some of his best work. I love what the writer Kat Armist says. She says, in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus partners alongside his skeptical, exhausted, hungry disciples to do something beautiful for the community. I love that Jesus isn't fazed by the things that make us human. Having it all together isn't a prerequisite to be used for others. Her phrase there is so good. Jesus isn't phased by the things that make us human. You and I are having a renewed uh, sense of what makes us human right now around the world. That that those in power, that those with money, that those with privilege are not exempt from being human. That uh, across the world we are together feeling what it feels like. To acknowledge we are human, we are limited, we, we are finite, we, we can die, we can get sick. We are not the conquerors that we often like to think of ourselves. And yet that doesn't phase Jesus. He's, he's not phased by the things that make us human. And so as I've processed this story, if I've been thinking about what's going on in our world, as I've been thinking about what, what message does God have for our church today, Here's something that I want to encourage you. Write this down, hang this on your wall, uh, share this on social media. I mean, make this something that that can direct us forward, because I think this is what you and I need to reflect on right now. And here's my encouragement to you you don't have to be optimistic, but you should always be hopeful. You don't have to be optimistic, but you should always be hopeful. Now, the reality is, optimism is, is a way that we are wired or, or not wired. I'm wired to be an optimist, uh, but not everyone else is. and I'm, I'm aware of this, you know. Uh, others of you would say, no, I'm a realist, which is what pessimists call themselves, if you didn't know. Uh, I'm a realist because I'm married to one, I know, and I'm grateful for the perspective. And, and there are people that see it this way and people see it that way. But here's my point. If you follow Jesus, if you put your faith in Jesus, you should always be hopeful. Whether you are a realist or an optimist or a pessimist or whatever you call yourself, we should be the hopeful. Not because the situation looks good. Not because the latest news looks encouraging. Because we follow the person of Jesus. And that is what provides our hope. And if you're with us today and you're watching this and you're going, I don't believe in Jesus. I, I, I don't follow Jesus. I wanna invite you to put your hope in Jesus. This is a moment where you, you can acknowledge you may not have a solution here. And maybe for the first time in your life, you're realizing I need a solution bigger than myself. It's an invitation to put your hope in the person of Jesus, to realize this is why Jesus makes sense because we can acknowledge our own human uh, capacity and then we can look to Jesus and realize Jesus can do what we cannot do. We always have hope. Father Richard Hendrick said this recently. Yes, there is fear, but there does not have to be hate. Yes, there is isolation, but there does not have to be loneliness. Yes, there is panic buying, but there does not have to be meanness. Yes, there is sickness, but there does not have to be disease of the soul. Yes, there is even death, but there can always be a rebirth of love. Wake To the choices you make as to how to live now. Wake to the choices that you can make now. See, church, I wanna encourage us. This is a time for us to show up for others. In the midst of a problem, in the midst of an emergency, in the midst of a pandemic, this is the time for us to show up for others, not to isolate, not to bunker down, not to cower in fear, but figure out how do we show up for others? Now, this season has forced us all to reflect on on what needs to change, and a lot of things have come into perspective, and and will continue to in the weeks to come. But how do we show up for others right now? I want to encourage you to choose FaceTime and phone calls, to, to show up for people and to let them know that you're thinking about them. That, that you, would, you would take that personal connection even if you can't be with them in person. It, it's a time to show up and connect with family. I mean some of you haven't really been around your family like this in a long time. And it's a time to connect with them in a new way. To figure out how do we build into these relationships. How do we uh, figure this out together. It's a time to remember What is most important to us? And we're getting lots of reminders of that right now and and lots of perspective change in the midst of that. It's a time to listen to the needs of others. Now, I know that you are affected by all this in one way, but what about your neighbor? What about some of your friends? What about some of your coworkers? How are they affected? Listen to the needs of others. It's a time to give ourselves freely. Say, what is it that I have that I can leverage for others, that I can extend for others? Rather than hoarding it to myself, how can I use what I have to freely give to others? It's a time to not buy more groceries than you need right now. To say, this is what we need for this. And and we're just going to trust that if we all were to behave like this, if we all were to extend love and, and care and thought to one another, we could get through this together. It's a time to go to our knees In prayer. Say, God, we were numb to this. We we thought we could solve this. This this is gonna take something greater. This is going to 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 rally us in a way that is far beyond us. Are we committed to showing up in prayer in the midst of this? It's time to sacrifice for someone else to benefit. So here's here's what I have. Here's how I could use this for you. It's time for us to follow the example of a young boy who is willing to share. Now, I, I want to close by just telling you, I, I have been incredibly emotional this week, and I find myself constantly on the verge of tears. And it's not because of, of how dire things look or, or fear. I, I'm emotional because I have seen some of the, the, the most uh, incredible beauty emerge in the midst of this. I have watched those in our church rise to this challenge in such profoundly beautiful ways. And I think, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that it took a crisis for us to realize the capacity that we have to love one another deeply. And I could go on and share story after story, and I'll certainly share some of these in the weeks to come. But one that happened this week that I I just was so incredibly moved by. Someone came to our church, it's a regular part of our church, and regularly gives to support the ministry that we do, and dropped off a check for $10,000. And I want to show you a photo of this, because I, I just took a photo. It was written on a piece of paper, and the piece of paper gave two names. Uh, I don't know if you can see it there. Here's the two families that we would love to make sure we help during this time, and Gave the details of both of those families and and some dollar amounts that, hey, they they probably have a lot of needs. You know, can we connect them from a point of benevolence? But then the rest of the check is just for the ministry that we do to say, hey, I know a lot of people are needing help right now. And I know the local churches is standing in that tension, in that gap to meet that need. I think that is what it looks like to say, here's what we have. How can we use this for others? And there's story after story of coming out like that, with people going, I'm not going to hoard right now. I'm not going to lock down. I'm not going to get defensive right now. I'm going to extend myself for the benefit of others. What would it look like for our entire church, for our community, if new people who got gathered and connected with us said, let's all do this. Let's all act like this little boy who was willing to go hungry for a day. For the chance that maybe Jesus would show up and would use what we have in supernatural ways. Church, we have that opportunity before us right now. Now is the time that they will look back on in history. Our our grandkids will, will one day say, tell me what that was like. What happened? How did the church rise up? What are the stories that they will tell? How did we get through this? When we get the chance to look back on this and, and when the scary part has ended and, and we're back to some sense of normalcy, what, what will we look back on this time and go, that's what this was all about. That was really what emerged in the midst of this. If you are a regular part of, of ALC, you may know that I love reading history. And I love getting the perspective that, that you can only get from someone else's point of view and, and seeing how it played out over many years of time. And I've been reading a lot lately about uh, how other uh, parts of history have dealt with different pandemics throughout the world. Uh, This is not the first time the world has ever experienced this. And so I've been reading a lot going, what did other people do? How did they work through it? How did they get through it? And there's one story in particular that, that really caught my eye. In the Roman Empire, in the years 165 AD and 251 AD, there were two different plagues that devastated cities, that devastated the culture. They estimated that the death rates would be anywhere from 7% to over 50%. Now that is dramatically beyond what anybody is saying right now. But imagine that level of death rate. That's what happened in Rome uh, during these two different plagues. These plagues were socially and and, uh, just devastating. They killed a number of the percentage of the community. As you can imagine, this forever changed life in Rome. But what we have historically is we can look back and go, who were the leaders who were the people that stood out? What are the stories that they told? Well, what are the stories that we can look back on in history? And I was reading about a, a few preachers like Cyprian and Dionysius, who were the ones that helped people try to make sense out of death and out of loss. And as I was reading in this, I came across a, a, a passage where uh, one of the bishops of the early church, a man named Dionysius, was writing uh, kind of with some time to reflect on the impact that Christians made in the midst of this plague. And I want to close with these words as a greater perspective for those of us who we are not experiencing on this level at all. But I want you to have a historical perspective on what could God do in a moment like this. Here's what the early uh, early church bishop said, Dionysius. He said, most of our brother Christians... ...showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and they died in their stead. The best of Christians lost their lives in this manner so that death in this form The result of great piety and strong faith seems in every way the equal of martyrdom. What will be told of the church in this season? How far are we willing to extend our love to those around us? What does it look like for you and I to give ourselves to make the gospel good news for others? Let's pray together. Jesus, we acknowledge we don't have solutions to this problem. We, we can look at much of what we have and say, like Andrew, what good is that? And yet, may we have the eyes of faith like this little boy who took what he had, leveraged it for the benefit of those around him. And because of that, they all got to witness an incredible miracle that day. Father, may the same happen today with us. May we be the ones who are willing to extend ourselves, who are willing to serve and love. And rather than being fearful of what we would lose, may we be the ones who are so aware of what we have to give. May you use the church, all around the world right now to rise up and to be the voice of hope, to direct this world to you of what you want to do in the midst of this. And so rather than fear and isolation, may we draw others to you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.